0: GM, GM to everyone who is watching and welcome to today's episode of the Economics Design Podcast. My name is Enzo. I'm a blockchain economist working here at Economics Design and I'll be your host as we celebrate a milestone achievement for our podcast. This actually marks the 100th episode of the Economics Design Podcast and we have not one, not two, but actually majority of the Economics Design team with us today as guests. I will let them introduce themselves later on during the show, but for today's episode, we will be talking about two main topics, the blockchain industry and economics design. We'll have specialists talk about the trends of the industry, DeFi, and blockchain gaming, and later on, we'll be switching gears and putting focus on working inside Web3 with particular highlights on economics design. And with that, let us begin. So first on the list... when we talk about the industry trends, we have to take a look and shed some high, shed some light on where the industry was before and where it, where it is now. And for that, none other than our own CEO and founding economist, Lisa Tan, will talk about the industry trends, what happened before, what's happening now, and what could happen in the future. Lisa, go ahead.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Lisa, and I am the founder of Economics Design. When I talk about, I feel like I was just gathering around all the grandkids and sitting down on a rocking chair. Back in the days, grandma's life was like this. But back in the days, when we talked about economics, economics, you know, economics of Web3, I remember the first the first uh, stage that I was on was teaching people what economics was like, economics 101, it's about incentives, about behaviors, about disincentives. And from there, paint the idea of what does that look like in Web3? How is it different? And how has that changed? Today, you know, in the last couple of weeks, in I've been going to a few conferences, and everyone is talking about a lot more complex topics. Economics is no longer just a theory-based model. We're taking ideas from physics, we're taking ideas from engineering, we're taking ideas from mechanical engineering, chemi- chemical engineering. Even chemists are coming in to participate in the idea of how do we create very robust economies, very robust value creation, and how do we take fields of value creation in other topics and bring them on board to economics today in Web3 Economics. And I think that's fascinating. It's Economics is not just one domain knowledge. It's a combination of multidisciplinary, focused disciplinary knowledge and skill sets and added together. And it has evolved significantly. It's no longer just a ponzi. It's no longer just a pamphlet it up. It's no longer just a white paper. But there is proper mechanics behind it, sequence, proper modeling involved. And it's no longer just a one-off uh, the barrier to entry has increased significantly, which I think is a good thing.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Lisa. And we can't talk about the blockchain industry without sh- talking about one of the pillars of how blockchain really evolved from cryptocurrencies and these tech um, back-end tech revolution to it's more of like the financial aspect of it as well. And when we talk about the finance aspect of the cryptocurrency industry or web three, we talk about DeFi, we talk about LST, LST, and restaking. And with that, we have one of our consultants, Gio, to give us more information on that. So Gio, go ahead.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Excited to be here. Um and it's it's super interesting because it's a recap of like around a year, but since we all know in Web3, things happen very, very fast. So if we uh, um, fast forward like to today, we had like many new primitives that really changed the way DeFi works now. So it seems like five years ago, but the merge only happened less than a year ago. It was in September, um, 2022. So we're almost at one year mark and a lot has changed. of course, as the name says, when we change from proof of, proof of work to proof of stake, we changed the entire security um, scheme and we went for the stake as being the, the the metrics for the security and for the incentives. So this was a very big change because we saw that Ethereum is the largest chain in terms of smart contracts, um, but the staking ratio, which is a parallel to the security ratio, um, was very low compared to the others. And that, that had a reason. And the main reason was that um, you were not able to really withdraw your Ethereum after you staked um, through the native, native chain. So that really refrained a lot of people from even trying to do so and being a, particip- a participant in the security uh, um, um, part of the chain. And then we also had at the beginning of this year, another big update, which was the Shanghai update or some some of them who call it um, Shabella upgrade. And that was also a big change because now stakers were able to withdraw. So A lot of people at the time were saying, hey, when the Shanghai comes in, um, we'll see a lot of the stake come out because people will unstake it. But we actually saw an opposite direction because now people are more comfortable staking. People um, know what the expectations are. And then since we saw this trend with staking, new things came out. Right, We already had kind of the liquid staking um, concept in the industry, but it wasn't as strong. So we saw a very big rise and a very big scale up in Lido, Rocket Pool, and dozens of others who, who came in to do this kind of the same thing, right? And then after this primitive became something that it was mainstream and everyone was using it, we had new ideas, which became the LSDs or the liquid staking derivatives, which was basically, okay, you stake your ETH, you receive um, a receipt from that ETH, and then now what? Right? We need some something else. What can we do with this receipt? And then we came up with the new primitives of liquid staking derivatives, which a lot of um, um, protocols are kind of leveraging and bringing public to it, right? Things such as Libra Finance, things such as Pendle um, and others. So I think this is this is amazing for the chain overall. We're seeing a very big uptick in terms of security, which is amazing um, for the biggest chain. And we're also seeing the money Legos that are very famous in De- DeFi, um, as hot as they, they will always be. So I think this was um, really a shift, not only technical upgrades, but a lot of paradigm shifts that we saw in the industry with people really changing the way they see the mindset they see with staking, with providing security for um, a specific chain. So yeah, that that was a little bit on the LST, LSD uh, um, narrative, but we also have some other things such as ZK and account abstraction. So I don't know, Femi, if you want to jump in and, and give us a little bit on that.
3: Yeah, sure. Thanks. Uh, I'll just double click on the fact that uh, less than a year ago, people used to trade their ETH and their currencies uh, in DeFi. And now uh, ETH is staked, almost all of it, and people are trading their LSDs instead. And that is uh, an additional security layer. But I'm going to step back a little bit because I'm going to be talking about the infrastructure of uh, blockchain and Web3 in general. We started very small with a blockchain back in the day, uh, which was, was just a currency. And then Ethereum came with the smart contracts. We got all excited. CryptoKitties did break Ethereum in terms of transaction uh, like volume uh, back in, I think, 2017. Uh, and that's, that's what raised the need for really having something really more scalable and being able to onboard millions of users at the same time. Um, L2 started... Um, a little bit late. Uh, some L1s came up with the promise of being super fast, like uh, Solana, for example, or EOS, and, or other L1s. But the real winner is really Ethereum, because Ethereum came up with the concept of Layer 2 chains. Layer 2 chains can act in multiple ways, so actually they, they do the tra- their transactions, they do their thing, and then they submit it back to the L1 and um, just that is a revolution because that reduces uh, a lot the transaction fees and brings a lot of people if you look at a website like l2beat we see that there's five times more transactions happening on l2 chains than on the ethereum mainnet itself Uh, the ethereum mainnet transactions stay at about 10 12 transactions per second but if we add the l2s we reach the 50 transactions per second today, which is pretty impressive, and there's potential for way more than that if we onboard more people. That happened with the contribution of uh, uh, a few players like Arbitrum, Optimism, uh, we cannot forget about uh, Polygon as well, but there's also uh, StarkNet, there's many players in there, and the newcomers like uh, ZK Sync Era, Uh, or um, uh, Linea or even um, Polygon ZK Sync. So the ZK technology is what is actually bringing this technology even further. Uh, With the ZK proofs, the concept is pretty simple. You can prove that something is uh, true or right without having to reveal what that thing is exactly. Uh, One of the applications is technically, for example, I can prove that it's me, it's my identity, without having to reveal my identity. That way, we can have wallets that interact with me that can validate that I'm doing the transaction without me having to make my identity public, because we know that the blockchain is public. Uh, Another way is obviously using ZK proofs to prove that as an L2, I did all these calculations and they are all valid and I'm submitting them back to the L1, or as an L3, actually some them back to the L2s because now we're talking about L2s but all these L2s are coming up with networks of L2s like for example uh, Optimism has the OP stack um, Arbitrum has Arbitrum Orbit, Polygon has Polygon Supernets, um, ZK sync uh, came up with Hyperchains. So all of these L2s or, or, or these technology developers are coming up with the concept of Hyperchains or Superchains or, or, or Supernets. These are networks of blockchains on top of an L2. And the idea is uh, we're also trying to making them interoperable because that is also very important because if you start uh, diluting liquidity uh, among thousands of chains, then it's not going to work either. Uh, The idea is sharing liquidity and creating what we call also interoperability. There are main players in the interop technology um, vector. Uh, I can name a few, for example, um, Chainlink CCIP is coming up with a a huge solution for the industry, where you can swap any token to any token on any chain you can think about. Uh, Same for Axelar, building uh, the the juice between the chains. Uh, Uniswap X, uh, not necessarily a bridging technology, but this is even abstracting um, the way we um, do transactions, and it is cross-chain. and, and that is also something super important because with the multiplication of chains, we need to make them interoperable. And the new technology that is also super interesting that will help onboard people because one of the challenges is the user experience, having to sign transactions, having to do multiple clicks to just like do a transaction as a web to um, user, it's not something acceptable. So uh, one of the new revolutions is the account abstraction, account abstraction, allows users to just do the transaction in one click not having to uh, approve sign do all kinds of uh, in between uh, steps you can just like uh, uh, actually the account abstraction is self-explanatory so you have your wallet which is which comes with its own security rules but you have a smart contract on top of it that actually automates some of the actions for on your behalf. So it comes with some security risk, but the most trusted people building with account abstraction are just making everybody's uh, experience way easier, either for someone to trade tokens or even for a video game player to engage with the game without having to care about the concept of a wallet or an approval or a signature. Um, that is super important to onboard gamers because they don't care about wallet. They, co- they care about their experience and we can embed the transactions and the backend for them. So that is where the technology is going. And that is what, how I believe that we will onboard millions if not billions of users to Web3
0: thank you thank you so much Gio and Femi for that really insightful talk about DeFi infrastructure and basically the next I should say trend that came up in terms of the whole crypto space after the DeFi after that infra was built was really a more complex economy in blockchain gaming and it blockchain gaming was really really gross in popularity back in 2021 or right in the middle of the pandemic because not a lot of people had much to do outside of staying at home playing games and these games such as Axie Infinity was a way for other people especially in developing nations like for where I am from in the Philippines we were able to earn an income by just playing a game but of course throughout that trend we saw that some of the models weren't really sustainable in a way so in terms of that we have Kiefer, one of our blockchain gaming consultants here at Economics Design, to talk about the evolution of blockchain gaming. So, Kiefer, go ahead. Hey, everybody. So,
4: for for this section, I really want to to take us back a little bit and see really where did uh, where did Web3 gaming get its start. And um, often, when people think about the start of Web3 gaming, depending on how how long they've been in the space, they might think of Axie Infinity. They might think of CryptoKitties but it actually dates back a bit farther than that. Um, And so I'd say probably the, debatably, probably the earliest uh, example of a Web3 game is Hunter Coin, And so this was a fully on-chain game back in 2014. Um, It was a simple PVP game that ran on its own chain. Basically, you could just mine coins and try to get them back to the bank before you get killed by another player and they steal your coins. And so this was this was entirely on chain, which is for, for very ahead of its time. It had the map characters, items, transactions, and game rules all fully on chain. But we're talking about 2014 era blockchains where everything was incredibly slow. We see how difficult it is now to have um, all of these things running on chain. Think about back in back in 2014. Uh, so this was very slow. And the other problem that um, they encountered and is, I think, still useful to think about um, as, as an issue for on-chain games today is how much it was dominated by bot activity and how much you really needed to be a developer to compete with us. Um, I, I got interested in the blockchain in 2014, and as a gamer, I was looking at games to play. And I can say from that perspective, it was pretty obvious that you needed to be able to build your own bot to, in order to actually... Uh, be competitive about this and so while it was technically an example and was a great uh, thing to look at for understanding the potential of on-chain games um, wasn't really uh, a good experience for gamers themselves looking to get um, an experience in the space. Then there's another example that predates CryptoKitties that I think is often slept on um, and that's Spells of Genesis. So this was a game that came out in early 2017 uh, and they had both Web 2 and Web 3 uh, components. So it was a trading card arcade game on mobile. Basically, you had some some trading cards and then it was sort of those shoot the ball into an enemy and their, he- and their health goes down uh, type of arcade game. And they had the Web 3 component built uh, using counterparty. So that's a data layer on top of Bitcoin. Uh, and so you had the capability to earn your cards. Um, and... I, I played this back in 2017 and I thought it was quite fun. This was one of the things that got me really excited about the potential for high quality games and um, could, I think, reasonably get expectations up about uh, how soon we were going to have quality games in the space given that this was what, what was already out there in uh, early 2017, um, but as we'll see shortly, it took us quite a while to, to actually start getting games out that are, uh, that are fun to play. And um, so can't go through the history of, of Web3 games without talking about CryptoKitties. So moving to the, to the later part of 2017, um, CryptoKitties just saw an explosion of popularity. Um, so this is, although it, you, it's arguable about whether or not this actually constitutes a game. Basically the gameplay was you have, uh, you have crypt, two CryptoKitties, you breed an additional CryptoKitty, and you try to sell that, or use that cat to breed additional crypto kitties. and it has a had a heavy collectibles component, um, but also very much, very much a speculative Ponzi-like structure of uh, if you're you're trying to get somebody else to sell to with a hyperinflated supply of assets, and uh, obviously that didn't end well in terms of the pricing of these kip of these crypto kitties, but it did get people's attention, um, and that was really the important part and the impactful part for Web three gaming as a whole because it started. This huge wave of interest uh, in NFTs in blockchain gaming that got this uh, that spurred this wave through late twenty seventeen and into twenty eighteen, where a lot of people were trying to experiment and figure out how to build games in Web three. A lot of them were very low quality follow ons that were clones of Crypto Kitties or simple hot potato pass on sell the NFT uh, to somebody else for a higher price, Um, but it it did get um, a lot a lot of people thinking about the space. Um, There were a lot of people raising money. Um, We started to see some of the pitfalls of people raising money through selling to retail. And so this was a case of you just needed a white paper out there, or maybe a website. You don't need to say who your team is and people will still throw money at you. Um, And uh, obviously the vast majority of those projects didn't really pan out that well. Um, Anecdotally, I invested in probably 15 to 20 different uh, different projects then, and the only one that worked out for me was Axie Infinity. The rest of them went to zero. Uh, and so that was kind of the, the 2018 wave. Um, but then most of those didn't pan out, but some of them did. Some of them had got, uh, got funding, got a team behind them, and actually started to try to execute on their vision. And then uh, moving through back to the next bull market, we saw the big, um, the big one was Axie Infinity, as, as mentioned before. So that really took out off in 2021. Um, as Enzo mentioned, it was, it was structured in a way where it got a lot of interest uh, from people because they could earn money um, from doing it. This was the classic play to earn. Uh, the game itself, a uh, uh, creature battler for anyone listening who happens to be unfamiliar, um, but it had a Ponzi-like economic structure that did not make it sustainable in the long term but uh, it it did help continue to push the space uh, forward to get more interest and investment and it finally got to the point where we're actually pushing high quality teams and significant amounts of money and it's basically the stepping stone to push us towards um, having high quality games coming in the pipeline and that takes us closer to where we are today where there are a lot of teams um, in build mode and getting pretty close to having a high quality product from an experienced uh, development team getting close to significant launches. Um, and we're seeing even major gaming companies uh, announcing projects in the space like Zynga and Ubisoft. Um, and so that that's kind of taken us to where we are today.
0: Thank you, Kiefer, for that trip down memory lane in terms of blockchain gaming. And the last thing you mentioned was all these big web, um, web two gaming companies transitioning in the space, and actually, we have one of our consultants here who's tr- from the traditional gaming industry as well. So, Rob, can you quickly talk about how web two games transition to web three, and the next transition after that?
5: Absolutely, Enzo. Uh, thank you very much. So, you know what we've seen with uh, a lot of the the blockchain web three game developers. Um, They've seen that the mechanics and the systems of gaming and online gaming, mobile gaming, all kind of dovetail very nicely with the, the type of systems they want to build and this idea of, of play to earn. And so you had a uh, you know, basically kind of a gold rush of people coming into the space, uh, launching a token, launching NFTs and saying, you know, we've got this great project and we're now going to make a, a game to show you guys the power of this thing that we have created. Uh, and I think very early on, a lot of these projects realized that uh, making games is hard. Uh, and so a lot of people had great visions, great ideas, uh, great Web3 and blockchain fundamentals in what they were developing, but transitioning that to gaming is is actually quite a challenge. Um, We have seen uh, a lot of the kind of familiar uh, game types come into Web3 gaming. So uh, I think one of the earlier games that was very popular was Splinterlands, and that's kind of an evolution of uh, what Blizzard did with Hearthstone. Uh, we've seen uh, great games like Shrapnel, which is a really nice shooter. I would kind of call that like you know an evolution from Call of Duty. Uh, you've got things that uh, like what the Board Eight Yacht Club is doing with uh, Rec League, uh, which is kind of a, an evolution off of like a Street Fighter game. So you've got all of these existing games, all these existing styles that people know and love, and now we're starting to see Web three developers use those existing mechanics and the things that people understand to incorporate with the, the systems that they've built on the blockchain. Um, Another thing that I think developers are starting to realize is that um, you don't have to be exclusive to the blockchain. Uh, Making a good game does not mean that you are on the chain and that uh, everything revolves around your token, around your NFT. Uh, And actually quite a few developers have started to learn that, you know, if everything is your NFT, if everything is your token, where's the fun? You know, where is the the actual entertainment in what you're building? Uh, and I think what really, uh, you know, very smart developers or developers who have learned through uh, quick, painful lessons are seeing um, is that you have to really, and this is, you know, people say this all the time, you have to build a good game. Um, you can have the the most intelligent system. You can have the greatest NFTs, the best art, the the most profitable uh, token out there. But if you don't have something that's fun to play and something that's interesting to use, uh, people are just going to, you know, either uh, just take your token, extract all the value they can out of it, and move on to the next thing, uh, or they're going to just, you know, sell off all their NFTs. to make whatever profit they can because that's what you've created for them you've created a a revenue generation machine whereas if you have a game and you have something in there that people enjoy coming and there's retention and there's a reason for them to come back and want to play it then the the nfts the tokens all of the systems that you've built out are all working together in this you know kind of uh ecosystem where people play the game they get some nfts they get tokens they they stake them, they use them, they trade them, all of these systems working together to build something that is fun for people to play, but something that people will want to invite their friends to, they'll want to join guilds, they really want to uh, be a part of this, and it's not just because of the profit that they can go in there and make from playing this game, it's because the game is fun. Um that, I think, has been probably the biggest lesson that a lot of developers have uh, learned in Web3 over the uh, the few years here that we've been uh, actively making games in the space.
0: Thank you. So thank you, Lisa, um, uh, Geo, Femi, Kiefer, and Rob for painting a picture of the Web3 trends that we've seen throughout the years.